right, if you would, take your Bible and open to Ezra chapter 4 in the Old Testament. And kids, those of you who are pre-K through first grade, I know you're ready to go. Go for it. Uh, head toward Elevate, toward Miss Courtney. If you're a guest of ours and you have a pre-K through first grader and they would like to go to a children's church time, they can go right over here in the corner. If it's their first time to go over there, if you can go with them, that, that, helps, that helps a lot with our, with our volunteers. Ezra chapter 4 is where we're going to begin in the Old Testament portion of your Bible as we, as we get started. A couple of things this morning before we get into studying God's Word. First, I want you to know that next week we are hosting our Discover Emmaus lunch that we try to provide every six to eight weeks or so. If you're a guest of ours and you've been around, maybe today's your first day, or maybe you've been here six, nine months, over a year, whatever the case, and you're just trying to figure out how do I get connected, how do I learn more about the church, this is the perfect starting place for that. Um, you'll be able to ask questions, meet staff, hear more about the church. We would love for you to come and, and be a part of that. You can let me know after the service. You can take one of those cards from the seat back, just write lunch on it, put it in the little box on the wall, or hand it to me at the end of the service, let us know you're coming. Better yet, if you're a member here, if you've been around Emmaus for a long time and you know people who are looking for a church or who have been visiting, come with them. That makes it so much easier for somebody to come when they don't feel like they're having to come by, by themselves. And so if you've been meeting somebody who's a guest, you know somebody in your family circle, friend circle who's looking for a church, invite them to come and have lunch with us. We'll be finished in less than an hour. Child care is provided. If you have little ones and are looking for an option there during this lunch, we've got an option for you, so we want you uh, to be able to take advantage of that. So I hope you can be a part of that next Sunday, uh, our Discover Emmaus lunch. Also, before we read the scripture for this morning, let me just tell you as well, if you see these baptisms that happen uh, this morning, and you know in your own life you've never been baptized as a follower of Jesus, one of the things we talk about when someone is baptized is that baptism is not just for them. It impacts all of us as a church. And you may be sitting there saying, you know what? I was baptized when I was four, five, six, maybe as a baby. I, I didn't know what I was doing. I wasn't aware of what was going on. I, I just, I, I don't know that I was baptized as a follower of Jesus. And I've got questions about that. Let us pray with you. Let us talk with you through that process Maybe you're later in life and you've followed Jesus for a long time, but you've never been baptized to show people this is what God's done in my life. Don't let anything about your circumstances stop you from following what God's leading you to do. Um, and if we can just help you work through questions, help you pray through that, if you have questions about the meaning of baptism, don't leave this place today without talking to someone about that. And at the end of the service, when we have our final song, our invitation, even after that final song, we'll be down here at the front, and, and we'd love to talk to you about that, what that means, what that means, what it looks like in your life as well. Ezra chapter 4. Let's get started looking at God's Word this morning. We're going to read verses 1 through 6 of Ezra 4, and then we're going to be all over Ezra and Nehemiah throughout the, throughout the sermon, looking at those two books together. So here's what God's Word says. Now when the adversaries of Judah and Benjamin heard that the returned exiles were building a temple to the Lord, the God of Israel, they approached Zerubbabel and the heads of fathers' houses and said to them, Let us build with you, for we worship your God as you do. 
And we have been sacrificing to him ever since the days of Esarhaddon, king of Assyria, who brought us here. But Zerubbabel, Jeshua, and the rest of the heads of fathers' houses in Israel said to them, You have nothing to do with us in building a house to our God, but we alone will build to the Lord, the God of Israel, as King Cyrus, the king of Persia, has commanded us. Then the people of the land discouraged the people of Judah and made them afraid to build and bribed counselors against them to frustrate their purpose all the days of Cyrus, king of Persia, even until the reign of Darius, king of Persia. And in the reign of Ahasuerus, in the beginning of his reign, they wrote an accusation against the inhabitants of Judah and Jerusalem. This is the word of the Lord. There's a book by C.S. Lewis that you may have heard of that's called Screwtape Letters, uh, and it's kind of a reverse direction book. What you get in this particular book is this head demon is writing to a junior demon giving strategies for how to cause a Christian to go astray or to lose their faith or to struggle in life. And so you get what seems to be a, a fictional, but albeit very eye-opening portrait of behind the scenes, how are the demons working against the people of God, what's going on. And there's a really interesting portion early in Screwtape Letters where the main demon is telling the younger demon, hey, if you want to cause problems for that Christian, that person who's new in their faith, save the big stuff for later. Like the scary movies and the demon possession and all the crazy stuff, save that for later. Just use discouragement. Like if you're talking about attacking someone in their Christian life, go after the little stuff. Discourage them in their relationships with one another. Discourage them by making them compare their own life to somebody else's life. If you want to really go after a Christian, don't, don't use the big stuff. Just use discouragement. Because how many of us, when we've gotten a fresh start in life, maybe you're baptized today, uh, maybe you've gotten started back in church and you haven't been in church in a long time, Maybe your love for the Lord is growing after a time that you felt really spiritually dry. Like things are moving in a good direction. Guess what you can probably anticipate? A little bit of discouragement, a little bit of opposition, a little bit of challenge. Look at this quote from Derek Thomas who wrote a commentary on Ezra and Nehemiah. Derek Thomas says, discouragement is a deadly virus. It saps energy, cripples motivation, and leads to apathy and inertia. Pastorally, when I think about you, when I pray about you, when I think about the world we live in, discouragement terrifies me. <laughs> because I talk to and I see a lot of Christians who are so discouraged in their life. How do I know you're discouraged? Because you've lived through 2020 and 2021. And so I would think in a room like this, we're probably batting about 95% of people who have sometime in the last couple of years have just felt discouraged. You felt discouraged about your job. You felt discouraged about your friendships. You felt discouraged about your family. You might be embarrassed to tell the pastor, but you felt a little discouraged about your church. Like we live in a world where people are discouraged. And discouragement will sap the energy out of your life so quickly. And so this morning, we want to look and say, what does God's word say about discouragement? How do we confront it? And then how do we respond to the discouragement that comes in our lives? So let's go back to Ezra chapter 4 and see the way this unfolds. 
Let's make sure we know what's going on here in Ezra chapter 4. Verse 1, when the adversaries of Judah and Benjamin, these are those southern tribes of, of Israel, when they heard that the returned exiles, so the people coming back from Babylon, that they were beginning to build a temple to the Lord, the God of Israel, they approached Zerubbabel and the heads of the father's houses and said, hey, let us build with you, for we worship your God just as you do. Now, maybe just a quick comment there. Are they telling the truth? Because what's happening here, the exiles, the people of God who were sent out of their land to live in Babylon, now they're coming back to the land of God, to Israel here, and, and they're going to build the temple. And the people that were still in the land are saying, hey, we worship the same God. Let us be a part of this project. Are they telling the truth? Not entirely. What has happened here, and you can read about this in 2 Kings and different places in Scripture, people who had stayed in the land of Israel and not gone to Babylon, did they continue to worship Yahweh? Yeah, they did. And they worshiped about nine or ten other gods in addition to Yahweh. And so when the exiles come back and they're about to start rebuilding the temple, these people say, hey, yeah, we'll build that temple as well. But they are not worshiping God alone. <laughs> they are worshiping the God of Israel and all these other false gods as well. And there's a danger here, and the danger is compromise. There's a fancy $100 word for this, the word syncretism, where you take one pure idea of religion and you mix it with a bunch of other religions. If you want to know what syncretism looks like, you live in that world right now. <laughs> it's you and your neighbors and everyone where you look around in the world we live in. People are like, oh yeah, I follow Jesus. Yeah, I I'm a Christian. And yet when you dig down on a person's life, they don't worship Jesus alone. It's Jesus plus a lot of other gods that take up our lives. And so there's compromise that's going on here. They come back and they say, hey, we're going to build with you. We worship your God. We've been sacrificing to him all this time. But Zerubbabel, who's one of the government leaders, and Jeshua, who's their high priest, and the rest of the heads of the fathers' houses in Israel said, you have nothing to do with us in building a house to our God. We alone will build to the Lord, the God of Israel, as King Cyrus, the king of Persia, has commanded us. So a really strong response. They're like, we're not going to compromise. We're going to stay loyal to worship the God that we worship and worship him alone. Watch what happens in verse 4. Then the people of the land discouraged the people of Judah and made them afraid to build and bribed counselors against them to frustrate their purpose. So the people, when they're not allowed to be a part of the temple building project, they begin to discourage the people of God. They begin to make them afraid. They begin to turn against them. And we know from these words that these are ongoing realities. This is not one-time discouragement. This is something that happens over and over and over again. You see this in the remaining verses there. It happened all the days of Cyrus, king of Persia, even until the reign of Darius, king of Persia, and in the reign of Ahasuerus, which is the king from the book of Esther in the Old Testament, it happened in the beginning of his reign, and they wrote an accusation against the inhabitants of Judah and Jerusalem. Things are not going here, going well here. And, and for the next couple of chapters in Ezra, you see this back and forth of letter writing that goes on. Now turn over, just for a minute, in your Bible, to the book of Nehemiah. It's right next door. If you just scroll down to your phone, you just turn right. Turn over to Nehemiah chapter 4. Originally, 
as the books of the Bible are produced, Ezra and Nehemiah were one scroll. So it was only later in the development of the Bible as the Bible was published for, for Christians and, and produced that, that Ezra and Nehemiah were divided. But for most of history, Ezra and Nehemiah were one scroll, they were one story. When you get to Nehemiah, they've rebuilt the temple, but now they're trying to rebuild the walls around the city. Watch what happens in Nehemiah chapter four. Now Nehemiah chapter four, when Sanballat, and you're gonna learn to hate this guy. Um, now when Sanballat heard that they were building the wall, he was angry and greatly enraged, and he jeered at the Jews. He ridiculed them, he booed them, if you would. Um, verse two, and he said in the presence of his brothers and of the army of Samaria, what are these feeble Jews doing? Will they restore it for themselves? Will they sacrifice? Will they finish up in a day? Will they revive the stones out of the heaps of rubbish and burned ones at that? That's your most encouraging friend here. <laughs> he is ridiculing their attempts to rebuild the walls around the city. Then, in verse three, Tobiah the Ammonite was beside him. Now we know from Tobiah that his family had wealth and influence. Sanballat was the governing official Tobiah is his rich, cocky friend that you just can't stand. <laughs> so Tobiah comes by, and he sees that Sanballat is discouraging them. So Tobiah jumps in with ancient trash talk, and he says, Yes, what are they building? If a fox goes up on it, he will break down their stone wall. Now, you've got to love the taunting in, in that situation. Like, this is middle school level or grade school level. Like, your castle is so bad that if a fox runs on it, it's going to fall down. So, again, he's ridiculing. He's discouraging. He's working against them in this situation. Go down to verse 10. The people are hearing this. And in verse 10 of chapter 4, in Judah, it was said, the strength of those who bear the burdens is failing. There is too much rubble. By ourselves, we will not be able to rebuild the wall. What's happening in verse 10? The discouragement is setting in at this point. So the middle school taunting that they should have been able to realize was just trash talk and there was nothing behind it, it actually got inside their head. You know, sticks and stones may break your bones, but words will never hurt you. Yeah, right. Like, the words are hurting them at this point. Like, they feel beat down because of what is being said about them. Verse 11, our enemies said, they will not know or see till we come among them and kill them and stop the work. So not only are they getting discouraged, but their enemies aren't letting up. They're threatening to come and kill them. They're threatening to come and stop them. Verse 12, at that time, the Jews who lived near them came from all directions, and you hope these Jews are coming saying, hey, we'll help you rebuild. What are they coming? They said to us 10 times, you must return to us. Now you're so discouraged that even your friends have turned against you. So first you turn against yourself, then your enemies ratchet up the anger toward you, and now even your friends have turned against you and said, yeah, that whole rebuilding project, I've seen your work around your house, you're never gonna get that done. Like just, it's better to stop, it's better to back away, just come live with us where it's safe. They are beat down and discouraged at this point. 
what causes discouragement in our lives? Um, this last week in our staff meeting, we talked about this question, and I realized about halfway through the conversation, it probably wasn't my best idea in an open staff meeting to ask a group of ministry leaders, hey, have you felt discouraged lately? <laughs> uh, what causes discouragement in your life? Because the conversation did not take long to take off. Um, there were a lot of things that could be shared about what causes discouragement. From that conversation in our staff meeting, from studying scripture, everything kind of fell under six categories, give or take, and, and you can write these down if you want, but they're more just broad-based and you could fill in the pieces better, better than I could. What causes discouragement? Opposition and, and hard relationships in your life, people who are opposing God's work in your life, what does this look like practically? Teenagers, uh, you're passionate about following Jesus, you're doing your best this year at school to follow Jesus, and somebody comes along quickly and says, you really don't want to do that. Like, that's totally fine that you go to church, but, but you don't want to do that all the time. And, and the threat to compromise, to, to give in, uh, relationships in your life, people in your life who maybe they mean to, maybe they don't, they just suck the energy out of you. They're just hard relationships, extra grace required type of relationships. And before you know it, over time, the ridicule and the negativity, it, it builds up. And, and you start to feel discouraged. You, you find yourself apathetic. You find yourself just not caring about the things of God. You think about negative words and thoughts. If we're not careful, negativity from the world can get into our minds, and when it gets in there, it starts to play on repeat. It starts to loop around, and you can't get those negative words and thoughts out of your head, and very quickly, you become discouraged. Overwhelming circumstances many of you have discouragement in your life because of such difficult circumstances that you're facing. Um, we were talking this last week in, in staff meeting about people who work in the medical field, those of you who work in the school systems, those of you who work in service industries. It's hard now not to feel discouraged when you go to work not to feel discouraged because of the overwhelming circumstances that you're facing in your life. Some of you are facing circumstances that not only are hard, but they won't go away. It feels like there's no light at the end of the tunnel. And friends, when you're in the middle of a situation and you can't see the light at the end of the tunnel, the discouragement comes in dark and, and heavy. And those are difficult times in life when you can't see the light at the end of the tunnel. You think about unmet expectations, Slow, slow change. When you don't see things changing in a situation, or maybe you had expectations about what was going to happen at your job, or expectations of what was going to go on in your life, and those haven't happened, discouragement sets in. When you're caught up in chaos or politics, part of what made the people in this story so discouraged is because they couldn't get any work done because all the political figures were fighting back and forth. Hey, anybody ever felt that way before? Like, like, I can't get anything done. We can't make any progress in life because the political parties just keep sending letters back and forth to one another, and there's, there's nothing going on. When you feel like your actions don't create any change because of forces that go beyond you at work or in your life, man, that gets discouraging. Because you start thinking, well, why should I even care? Why should I even do anything? Nothing's going to change. There's just all this chaos and politics going on. And then if we're not careful... You feel discouraged because you feel isolated. Anytime you begin to think no one else understands what I'm going through, 
No one else sees me. No one, when you start to feel isolated, that's when that discouragement can really set in. And you're thinking, okay, where's the good news? There's so much good news. We just had to face the bad news this morning, okay? I know that feels heavy because it is heavy, because it's reality, because there are people in this room that feel so discouraged, they don't know if they want to come back to church next week. Frankly, discouragement gets so deep, you worry about tomorrow coming. How do we respond to that? Here's what we're going to do. So here's our response to discouragement from God's Word. This morning, over the next few minutes, I want to show you the map I want to show you the pathway. I'm going to give you three. If you like to take notes, there's going to be three things. I want to show you the pathway forward. How do we respond to discouragement? And then we're going to take each one of those over the next three weeks and go one, two, three, one week about each of these because we can't cover it all this morning. It'd be trying to fit too much in. This morning, I want to give you the map. This is how we find ourselves getting out of discouragement. And then the next three weeks, we'll put the pieces together. How do we get there? comes from a very surprising place in Scripture, maybe, Acts chapter 6. You want to make a little note about Acts chapter 6. The verses will be up here on the screen. But what's happening in Acts chapter 6 is the church is beginning to grow. Good things are happening as the church is growing, the Word of God is going forward, things are beginning to happen. This is a, this is a good time. And in the middle of a very good time for the church, it says a complaint by the Hellenists, these were the Greek-speaking people, arose against the Hebrews because their widows were being neglected in the daily distribution of food. Now the connection here is when people get discouraged, what happens? They begin to complain, and they begin to take sides, and they begin to divide from one another. This is a very dangerous time for the church. So what did the church leaders do? In verse 4, it says that they are going to appoint people who ultimately become deacons. This is an early story about deacons in Scripture, but it's going to impact the whole church. We're going to appoint people to this duty of caring for the widows, but we, speaking of the main church leaders in this situation, will devote ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the Word. All right, here's where this gets fun. When you take those three elements from Acts chapter 6, how did they respond to discouragement and complaining? Care for those in need, pray, Devote yourself to the word. And then you go back to Ezra and Nehemiah, and you find out how Ezra and Nehemiah responded to discouragement. Guess what you're going to find? The word of God, prayer, and caring for those in need. It's not rocket science. It's not even something that you probably have not heard before, but it is your reminder that the pathway out of discouragement is through the word of God, prayer, and and ministering to others. The word of God, prayer, and ministering to others. The discouragement is setting in. God, where do I turn in the middle of this darkness? I feel like I just want to give up. Am I going to keep going? The word of God, prayer, ministering to others. If you still have your Bible open in the Old Testament, look at Ezra chapter 5 just for a second. I want to start with God's word here. Let's look at these We're just going to take a quick look at each three of these, and then we're going to divide them over the next three weeks. Because, friends, I think if we get this right, this is such a difference maker for our church. I mean, this this material is something that I've been praying through and working through for for several weeks now. Uh, Talking with Jim as he prepared to go on his sabbatical, just what God is doing in our church 
if there's anything we're going to get right in the weeks to come, it has to be these things. God's word, prayer, ministering to others. Ezra chapter 5, verse 1. What happens when they get discouraged? Well, the prophets. Haggai, Zechariah. We're going to talk about Zechariah tonight at 5 o'clock after Jaron's worship meeting at 4, and then 5 o'clock during the worship service. We'll talk about Zechariah. They prophesied to the Jews who were in Judah and Jerusalem in the name of the God of Israel who was over them. Then Zerubbabel, the son of Shealtiel, and Jeshua, the son of Josadak, arose and began to rebuild the house of God that is in Jerusalem. And the prophets of God were with them, supporting them. When the people were most discouraged, what did God do? He sent prophets to them to give them the word of the Lord. When you are discouraged in your life, what do you need most? You need to hear the word of the Lord. Because in those moments of discouragement, it matters so much who and what we listen to. Friends, (laughs) times of discouragement are not times to scroll social media. They're probably not times to watch your favorite news station They're probably not times to listen to sad music, and they're probably not times to listen to the people in your life who have a lot of negative things to say. When we are discouraged, who and what we listen to makes all the difference. And what we need more than anything is the Word of God. Because when you turn back to the Word of God, you find a foundation that is sure and steady. You find a Word that confronts the reality of the suffering in your life but shows you a way forward. And when you turn to God's word, you find hope. Man, I love this scripture. Romans 15, through the encouragement of the scriptures, we have hope. If you need hope in your life, turn to the word of God. If you need hope in your life, turn to the word of God. That when the word of God comes to us, we find good news through the gospel of Jesus Christ. We find good news that what we see right now is not the end of the story. We find something that will not change in a world where everything seems to change every day. We turn back to the word of God when we face discouragement. Number two, we turn to God in prayer. Nehemiah, uh, no, not Nehemiah. Yeah, Nehemiah, chapter four. Verse four. They're discouraged. Tobiah has just made fun of their wall that a fox is going to knock it down. And they call out, hear, O God, For we are despised. The first thing to do is call out to God. Down in verse 9, Nehemiah chapter 4, verse 9. We prayed to our God and set a guard as a protection against these enemies day and night. (laughs) If you ever heard anyone say, say your prayers and lock your doors, this is the background for that. Like, uh, hey, if I just pray, nothing's going to happen. Well, here you see they're going to pray and they're going to set a guard as a protection, and setting a guard as a protection is not a lack of faith. (laughs) It's a demonstration of we're going to pray and trust the Lord, and we're going to do what we need to to be safe and to be protected. They're responding to the situation. Down in verse 14, down in verse 14 it says, Remember the Lord, who is great and awesome, and then fight. Get, get Get in the fight for your brothers, your sons, your daughters, your wives, your homes. When you feel discouraged, turn to the Lord in prayer. 
When you feel discouraged, turn to the Lord in prayer. God, I trust you. God, thank you for what you've given me. When you feel discouraged, pray for others. There's something about praying for someone else that brings encouragement into your own life because just for that moment, it takes your eyes off your own struggles and reminds you that there are others who are struggling. When you are discouraged, you need to hear people pray over you. It's great to get a text message that says, I'm praying for you. There's nothing wrong with that. It's good to have a text message that says, I'm praying for you. It is a thousand times better to hear a friend's voice praying over you, praying the word of God, praying that they love you, praying that it's gonna be okay. Hearing people pray with you brings such encouragement in our lives. And remember, prayer is not the enemy of action. Some people are like, yeah, I'm discouraged. I need to do something about it. Yeah, exactly. Prayer is the start, and prayer, when done right, will lead to action. In this story, they're going to pray, and then they're going to get to work. <laughs> they're going to pray, and then they're going to make sure their people are set on guard. They're going to pray, and it's not going to stop them from doing what they're called to do. When we pray, it drives us to do what God wants us to do. When you feel discouraged, turn to God's word. When you feel discouraged, turn to God in prayer. And then finally, the last thing is when you feel discouraged, we're going to be able to minister together. Look at Nehemiah chapter 4 down in verse 15. Nehemiah chapter 4 verse 15. When our enemies heard that it was known to us and that God had frustrated their plan, we all returned to the wall, each to his own work. So they got back to work, even in the middle of discouragement. From that day on, half of my servants worked on construction and half held the spears, shields, bows, and coats of mail. And the leaders stood behind the whole house of Judah, who was building the wall. Verse 17, those who carried burdens were loaded in such a way that each labored on the work with one hand and held his weapon with the other. <laughs> you may have heard this idea, they had a sword in one hand and a trowel in the other. Sword and trowel. They were ready to defend, and their readiness to defend with the sword was not going to stop them from doing the work. And it's such a beautiful image here. When you feel discouraged, respond by doing ministry with those around you. When you feel discouraged, respond by doing ministry with those around you. We were talking in staff meeting, and someone said, what do you do when you get discouraged? And one person said, well, I usually run for the fridge. Well, <laughs> understandable. <laughs> like, that, that, that does happen to all of us. When we feel discouraged in our least wise moments, we run first to the fridge. If you're going to run to the fridge when you're discouraged, make a meal for somebody else. That's probably going to be the best, way, the best way to handle that, probably the healthiest way to handle that. But the idea that we serve with one another, we serve for one another, that we remember that we're in this together, our God will fight for us. They knew the battle belonged to the Lord, and they knew the Lord was calling them into the battle to minister beside one another. One of my goals for our church in the next months, years to come, I want us to be an anti-discouragement church. <laughs> that when someone thinks about being connected to church, they think about what it is to be encouraged. We live in a world that has plenty of discouragement. We don't need to add to that at church. As a church, we want to be an anti-discouragement church. 
How do you become an encouraging church? A church committed to God's word and the truth of the gospel, a church that's committed to prayer and praise, and a church that's committed to putting our faith into action and serving others. There's nothing mind-blowing rocket science about that, but if we get that right, it makes all the difference in what it means to be a church. It makes all the difference in what it means for us to serve those around us, and that's the most encouraging thing that we could be a part of. As we get ready to wrap up our time, I wanna pray for us. We're gonna sing a final song of invitation together. If you've never been baptized as a follower of Jesus and you know you need to make that commitment today, you're gonna to have a chance to do that, to come. Friends, if you're discouraged, if, if you feel beat up, if you feel like, ah, oh, I just feel like the energy has been sapped out of me when it comes to my Christian faith, being a part of the church, we'd be so honored to pray for you this morning. Your response might just be, you just sing this psalm with everything you have as a declaration of your trust in the Lord. Whatever it is, we're gonna have a chance to respond right now. Let me pray for us. Father, we know we live in a world where people get so discouraged. We know that if we were honest over the last couple of years, there have probably been times we've been discouraged, whether it was work or friendships or family or just circumstances of life. And God, we know that the enemy uses that discouragement to take away our joy, to take away our energy, to take away our focus. But God, we know that you have called us to encourage one another through the scripture, through prayer, through serving together. And God, as the church family, as we go down this path over the next few weeks, God, show us what that looks like, that we have a fresh start to commit to your word and to prayer and to ministry. And God, I pray if there's someone here today who they know that their discouragement is a result of never trusting in Jesus for salvation, that they would know that the gospel is good news, that they don't have to get their life together this morning. All they need to do is turn to Jesus, the ultimate source of encouragement, the ultimate source of hope, the one who died for us, who rose again, God, I pray that there would be those this morning who would trust in you for salvation, who would become a Christian today, who would step out in faith through baptism. God, do that work in our church right now. And we pray this in Jesus' name, amen.